Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with our one of our new guest hosts, uh, uh, Dylan Nadler, who comes to us with a background in Taekwondo and psychology. Uh, and we thought we'd have a discussion about him and his background. So, Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, fantastic, as always. So, uh, Dylan, I'd love with you sh- if you were able to share with the audience, what are you up to these days? What are you doing now? And then we'll kind of rewind the clock uh, and talk about you kind of growing up as a kid. So, uh, Dylan, what are you up to these days? Yeah, so I'm the founder of a, of a company called MindLock, uh, which is, you know, mental training for athletes. So what that means is, is pretty much developing the mental skills and strategies that are so crucial for performance success, um, you know, in in sports and non-sports honestly you know whether you're an athlete or not uh but it's developing kind of the behind the scenes um skill set and and toolkit kind of required for that performance success so things like confidence motivation goal setting imagery self-talk identity right like all of the kind of behind the scenes factors that are so important and so crucial when it comes to performance success but the things that athletes don't necessarily um, prioritize just because there's not a lot of information around it right you know there's a lot of physical preparation there's a lot of cardio and strength and conditioning and technical and diet and stuff like that but you know when you ask someone how much of performance is mental the answer is a lot but then when you ask well what are you doing about that not so much. So that's where, where we kind of fill in the gap at MindLock, which is to, to really equip athletes with the mental tools that they need to perform well. And, you know, that's what I do as, as the founder. That's amazing. And I think that's so well, so much needed because, I mean, if you think about top performing athletes, like a lot of the physicality is, is pretty similar where the strength and the speed and all of that is, is fairly similar. Uh, but it's it's often that mental game, that, that dedication, commitment, as you said, uh, can be such a differentiating, differentiating factor. So, but I'd love, uh, before we kind of dive a little bit more into that, is to uh, rewind and go back in time and talk about Dylan uh, growing up. So, so what was Dylan like as a kid? How did he get to the this point uh what is maybe one of the earliest uh, childhood memories that you might have yeah you know i i was always a very athletic kid um you know my parents put me in taekwondo when i was five uh you know i played house league soccer for all of like elementary school i was on i was on the school teams um and just very much so i just love being active i think you know i can remember even like preschool days i think there was like a sport ball or something like that it was like a different after school thing and and I did that I just I always liked to kind of be active and I was pretty good at it like whichever kind of sport that I did and that definitely influenced my interest later on I I wasn't a big school person I wasn't a big like you know I hung out with my friends a lot but for me it was it was mostly just about sports and and being competitive like even until now like my whole life is as long as I can remember I've always been extremely competitive in anything that I do um so it kind of makes sense that you know being an athlete was was the avenue that I chose but yeah you know kind of like what you were saying from from an early age just kind of committing myself to whatever it was that I did you know most of the time that was sports and seeing how that progressed kind of later and later on Sounds good. And what were some of the influences along the way? Were a lot of your your family members, uh, brothers, sisters, cousins, that sort of thing, were they pretty athletic? Or or were you kind of the black sheep where everybody was like book smart and studious and you were the the, the sporty one? Or uh, what were some of the influences around you growing up? Yeah, you know, my parents were both like athletic when they were younger. And I think my dad had 
done taekwondo for a little bit but not competitively i think he was like a big like volleyball player and skier like he was always an athlete and, and same thing with my mom like he was always into fitness and, and stuff like that and you know me and my brother kind of had a lot of natural talents just in terms of being fast and, and, and being you know pretty strong like for our ages at the time and stuff like that so it, it kind of we were an athletic family like we'd go to the park as little kids and we'd bring a, a backpack with like a football and a baseball and a soccer ball and we would just be there for hours like just mixing it up with with different sports so I guess like tactile wise and like technically we kind of developed like a skill set for playing sports early on just that's just because we did um but in terms of like elite eliteness like I, I think I was the only one from anyone that I know that really took sport to the level that I did and, and stuck with it that long yeah, and I love if you talk a little bit about where or if you have a sense of where that commitment came from right is that just something kind of natural or was it groomed over time or uh, it was the love of the sport or, or, or some other aspect of it yeah I mean I've, I've always had a pretty like obsessive personality so if I find <laughs> something that I like and I'm good at like it's a wrap at that point like I'm, I'm gonna stick <laughs> with it um, like and I've always been very intense so even like I was saying with like house league soccer I mean house league soccer doesn't matter I mean in the grand scheme of things but I was treating like every game like it was the world cup like for me <laughs> like I was just committed and like I said if I was good at something and I enjoyed it you couldn't separate me from it so when it came to having to make the commitment to choosing taekwondo it was at a point where i transitioned from a more recreational gym to a to a high performance one and with that came more of a commitment so i had to be training more days a week i couldn't play the other sports i wanted to i had to drop out of soccer and not go and try out for school teams so it was a natural progression of all right you know i'm, I'm deciding i'm committing to this you know i have big goals and big dreams that I realized that I wanted and this is the the process that I have to follow to get there so for me it was an easy decision to kind of drop everything else and, and roll with the uh, the competition side of, of doing Taekwondo. Well per perhaps afterwards it seems like an easy decision but at that moment it must have been a little bit hard. Can you walk us through a little bit about okay was there a point or an actual tipping point to say like if I went left I go into this kind of elite gym where I where I commit myself to taekwondo if I went right I'm probably just going to be a regular old kid right so yeah uh, can, can you walk us through that moment in, in, in your yeah. life yeah so kind of getting into it like most martial arts gyms or, or, or clubs 90% if not more recreational right so yeah. a lot of these kind of taekwondo karate schools they're not meant for creating competitors they're meant for working people through the curriculum and working them kind of up the belts and that's where I found myself from ages you know 5 to 11 ish and then you know I slowly decided like man I just I loved sparring I loved just that that like that fighting and we just never did it right so there were moments where I, I started to kind of lose the passion I was like man I don't want to keep coming here and just going through the motions like I want to spar I want to fight I want to compete and there was just no support for that I mean you know my after begging and begging kind of the the masters that were there to, to tell me like where's a tournament right they finally told me about a tournament I went there with my family and nobody was there like from that club there you know it was a huge tournament and there were people from other clubs but no one came to support and, and my dad had to end up sitting in the in the coaching chair and like trying to tell me what to do so you know that was very much a pivotal moment of how do I respond to that you know do I take kind of a negative situation like that where there wasn't any support and say you know what screw this I don't want this anymore or do I go the other and say you know what if I could do this and still have fun despite having kind of no support imagine how fun this gets when I have like a whole team around me so that was a decision of what do I do do I you know I've been at this gym my whole life pretty much do I just 
wipe my hands of it and say, you know what, they can't provide me what I want, it's time for me to move on? Or do I say, this is time for me to kind of take it to the next level and take some risks here and try something new, but take the right step in terms of getting my kind of athletic career to the place that I want. So that was a situation where I could have gone one way or the other and I decided to lean into you know, chasing that thing that I was passionate about, which was competing at a high level. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I, I made that decision. Sounds good. So, but at that point, you're still fairly young. So you're probably, what, like 12, 13 odd years old? Uh, or, or is mm-hmm. it a little bit later when you'd made that decision? Yeah, this was this was 2011 January. So I was 12. And so at that point, like you're committing yourself and uh, are you kind of that kid in school who basically misses a whole bunch of classes because you have tournaments and this and that to go to? Is that kind of what it ends up being over the next little while? And you have like notes for not completing assignments because you have to go across the country to, to compete in this and that? Or, or what was or were you just uh, by day you were a regular kid and by night you were uh, like Taekwondo man or <laughs> yeah. whatever superhero? So I got lucky, you know, I, I ended up going to a sports school in Markham called Bill Crothers. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, but it's a it's a school designed for athletes, pretty mm-hmm. much. So it's a public school, you, you know, it's free to get in, but you have to apply. So it's not like a feeder school for anybody. So you have to kind right. of be accepted. And, and I'm grateful that I was there because it really helped with like the flexible schedule that I needed. So, you know, for example, I mean, through high school, like grade nine to 12, I was missing like a significant amount of time to compete because Taekwondo is such a global international sport. You know, every month or every two months, we were in a different country competing. So, you know, there was one year, I think it was maybe grade 12, where I think there's like 80 days in the semester or something. And I had I had 42 absences. So I (laughs) I missed like over 50 percent of like my final semester and you know I was I was grateful to be in a school that kind of understood I mean not to the extent that I needed it to um, but I did my best to kind of roll with that so what I would have to do is I'd have to like because I was also training three times a day like we would train before school after school and at night so I had no time to do work outside of that so it forced me to be extremely disciplined and you know get to school and during lunchtime I would eat my lunch really fast go to the library, take care of some of the homework I had to do. We had kind of a period at the end of the day where we could do some homework and a lot of people used it to just talk and relax. But I had to use that as the time because I didn't have any other time to do my work. So it forced me to kind of like adapt or die, right? Like either I can do this and I can be disciplined and make this work or I can't and I'm kind of screwed. So it really forced me into being disciplined with my studies and taking care of my homework and setting myself to up for a point where when I did have to leave to compete, I didn't have to worry about school or bringing textbooks with me because I did all the work behind the scenes to kind of keep it there. Whereas I had teammates that kind of brought their stuff with them and that, you know, that for me at least, it wouldn't have worked to kind of mix those two at the same time. That's amazing. <clears throat> so it sounds like you were uh, out of school, potentially out of the country, uh, doing uh, a whole bunch of different things on the Taekwondo level. And I, I'd, I'd love if you recall, like, what is the most kind of like, uh, I guess, significant uh, tournament or, or whatever that, that you had accomplished? So you're, you're kind of growing up uh, kind of year by year, uh, advancing up and up and up and up and up. W- what was there the kind of like first uh, like realization, hey, uh, I can do this like, well, full time or, or uh, completely compete at an elite level do you have a do you recall what that time was yeah so you know like i had said a couple times already i mean transitioning from 
a recreational gym to, to something more competitive. There were a lot of challenges along the way. Um, coming into a place where I just wasn't as skilled as all of my teammates because they've been doing this for a lot more time on, on a competitive scale than I had. So I had a lot of catching up to do. Uh, and, and we would go to local tournaments a lot. So, you know, every month we were going to a local tournament kind of within Ontario. And I was always doing well. I just, I just was never winning. I would come second or third. And we had a big kind of provincial games that was, you know, in August. So I started there in January. Provincials were in August. And I was kind of thinking like, man, how am I going to win this thing if I haven't even won a local game yet? And it was important because it was like a qualification for nationals. Um, but, you know, long story short, I competed really well. I won provincials. And then I went to nationals. I won nationals. And then fast forward a couple of years, there's a there's a big tournament called the U.S. Open. Um, it's one of the biggest kind of international events. And if you can win that, it's a pretty good indication that, like, you're – you're good you know what i mean like you're you're <laughs> one of the best that there is because it's one of the best tournaments and and i was fortunate enough to win it back to back actually in 2014 and 2015 and, and i think that made me one of the first canadians to win that tournament back to back so at that moment for me i was like all right like i know what i'm doing here i'm ready to take this to the next level um like you know i'm I'm very much so on the right path, and if I keep doing what I'm doing, you know, there's no reason why I can't get to what I want. And I would definitely say that 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 turning point was, you know, after winning the U.S. Open once and then winning it back to back and kind of defending that, being like, all right, like you know, I'm ready for this. That, that's amazing. So, uh, well, congratulations on the achievement, and uh, very proud to have you uh, on, on the show uh, with that. But uh, I'd love if you talk about a little bit about kind of that journey after because now you're at the pinnacle of your career you can really become kind of that elite level athlete but obviously that's not what you're doing uh, necessarily now well you're doing something similar <laughs> maybe even more important but i'd love if you talk to us a little bit about the journey from uh kind of the, the height of like kind of winning yeah. uh the tournament back to back and where you are now yeah so it, it, it's a good point i think it's a it's an important story so you know from there I, you know i still had a few more years after that of competing at a high level and doing well i mean i was named captain of, of Team Canada for Taekwondo. Um, you know, I had gone out and, and you know, earned a, a world ranking in the top 40 at, at a young age till I was like maybe 17, 18 against, you know, grown men and being ranked in the, in the top 40. In Canada and in this sport, I mean, Taekwondo is not a sport that has a lot that you can get from it kind of like long term. And what I mean by that, it's not a career, right? You know, it's not right. basketball where when you make it, you make it to the NBA and you're set. Or even... MMA, where like you can make the UFC and there's professional leagues, Taekwondo is an amateur sport. So what you find is there's a there's a shelf life for a lot of kind of competitors, and and where that takes them is pretty much about university, like grade 11, grade 12, where a lot of people back out because they have to prioritize their future. Right? There's not really a future to competing in that sport. So when it comes to grade 11, grade 12, that's where a lot of people back out for me I, I kind of surpassed that shelf life a little bit and I pushed through up until I was like 18 19 I think 19 so you know second year university type of thing and again I had to think like okay Olympics is two years away right or three years away so it's 2017 Tokyo 2020 or as it was supposed to be and I had to think like where am I now where do I want to go and what is that going to take from me right so I'm like okay can I realistically qualify and, and do well at these Olympics? I genuinely believe that I could. The second part of the question was at what cost, right? I'm going to mm. have to drop out of school because there's no way I can do both in preparation. 
I'm going to have to not work. I can't work a job if I'm going to be training full time. Uh, I'm going to have to sacrifice time with family and relationships that are important to me to, to really kind of pursue this final stretch. And I thought about like, you know, what's going to satisfy me coming home? Like, would I be satisfied with that? You know, I go out there to Tokyo, I win a medal at the Olympics and I come back and maybe, you know what, some pats on the back. Maybe you do some, some, you know, you talk to a couple of groups of people, but I realized like I'd be left with not a lot else, right? Like foundationally, especially like in this country where we kind of need a little bit more than that. You know, this isn't a country where you just get paid like you won the lottery for winning the olympics because that's what matters the most like sport is important in canada but it's not the most important by any means so that was kind of a a, one of those forks in the road of what do i do you know do i keep doing what i've been doing my entire life and you know commit to this final stretch and i know i can get what i want but at the risk of losing kind of a lot more and i decided to go the other way which is you know what I've had an amazing career. I've learned so much. I've developed as a person. I have no residual injuries or sorenesses or anything like that. I want to see if I can kind of repackage the skills that made me successful as an athlete into something else. And I think it was leaning into that identity aspect that allowed me to to make that decision. And it wasn't as hard. It wasn't as much of a, you know, really tough one as much as it might have sounded because I knew like, you know, what made me successful as an athlete is going to make me successful in whatever else it is that I do. Let me repackage that and find what else that I want instead of only labeling myself as an athlete and I'm only worth something based off of my results. I didn't want to be that person either. Sounds awesome. So yeah, it must have been a, a tricky spot there. And, and obviously after the fact, you can always speak to it a little bit better. But at the time, it must have been pretty pretty nerve-wracking on whether you made the right decision or not. Uh, yeah. c- can you recall the time when, when maybe the first time that you realized that Oh, I'm no longer competing, right? I, I'm now doing this, and because and, you're still coaching folks in 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 sports and athletics and stuff of like that, but uh, not not as a um, as a competitor, as as, as the, the coach in, behind the scenes. So, uh, can, can you walk us through a little bit about that, and and maybe even before that, the, the journey to to start Mindlock. So I don't know which one came came first, <laughs> the, the the Mindlock or the Egg, whichever one it is. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, how, how did that that process start? Yeah, I mean, it, it was tough. It was it was tough. And like I said, as much as I didn't struggle as much as a lot of people do, it doesn't mean I didn't struggle with it, right? I mean, it, it took me a long time to learn. Instead of saying, I do Taekwondo to say I used to do, right? Like that was tough because, you know, since I was five, I've been doing this my entire life. And it's always been so ingrained with my identity. And, you know, I'm Dylan, the Taekwondo fighter, the international competitor, the team captain. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it took a, it took a while. Like, you know, it took probably... If, I, if I'm being realistic, like up to at least a year, maybe six months to a year to kind of transition out of I do this to I used to do this or I did this. Um, but in terms of like starting Mindlock and where that came, I mean, I've, I've always had the idea for it, especially um, it's what made me successful as a competitor was leaning into the mental side of, of competing because I was never the tallest or the fastest or the most naturally gifted, you know, in my division. I, I had to rely on other things. I had to rely on my toughness. I had to rely on my discipline. I had to rely on the the game planning and the mental kind of analytics of competing. And it, it's what made me so successful. And traveling and, and to all these different parts of the world and seeing these national teams, you notice things and you notice, okay, all these teams have physiotherapists. They all have dietitians. They all have massage therapists. And it always shocked me that no one had like, mental coaches especially like how significant the mental game is so i knew for a long time like 
that's what I was going to do. I didn't necessarily know that it was going to be right away, but I always had the idea of like, you know what, when I'm done, I definitely want to go into, you know, the mental coaching side of things. I didn't really have a timeline for it, but I, I knew, I mean, if you go back to my eighth grade yearbook, when it says, what do you want to be in 20 years? And everybody says, doctor, lawyer, police officer, whatever. Mine said sports psychologist at like, you know, in, in eighth grade. So I, I've always known that this was what I wanted to do, kind of combining the mental side with the athletic side and merging those two things together. And, you know, it happened a lot sooner than I guess I anticipated it to, but it was pretty much like a right away. Like if I, I stopped competing end of 2017 and by, you know, February, 2018, you know, we were launched and, and ready to go. So it was a pretty, pretty quick turnaround. That, that's amazing. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about like, did it turn out exactly as you'd hope, uh, as you planned when you were in kind of grade eight, <laughs> that, yeah. that being the sports psychologist, is, is that, did it meet your expectations or, or was it different? So, so what was that process like? It surpassed my expectations, honestly. And I mean, I'm just getting started. So, you know, I'm, I'm obviously excited yeah. to see how it progresses from there, but I also didn't really have any expectations, right? I, I, I've always kind of been the person where it's like, I'm just going to roll with it. You know, I'm going to try something, I'm going to do it. Uh, and I'm going to see, right? I, I try not to overthink things to the point of it being kind of crippling and, and kind of preventing me from taking action. I've always been, let me just do it. Let me just roll with it and see how it goes, right? Let me kind of like start first and kind of learn as I'm going. So I didn't really have like clear set expectations as to what I wanted from it, especially as a, as you know, at, at a younger age, but I knew that I wanted to be working with athletes or working with teams in a capacity where people would kind of come see me. And I guess I always had more of a traditional vision, you know, back in the day of like having an office and people coming in and it's definitely progressed to be more modern based in terms of like global reach and doing things online and having access, whether it's one-to-one -one or it's online programming and reaching people in different parts of the world. Like it, it's taken a much more modern twist as time's gone on, but it still honors, you know, what I've always wanted it to be, which is, you know, supporting the next generation of athletes achieve their goals through the mental side of training that was so impactful for me. Sounds good. So presumably you took what you learned in kind of the, the sports psychology domain and kind of made it your own because obviously you have some lived experience having gone through it and then you kind of say okay this worked for me this didn't work for me and this is what it says in the textbook and let, let me kind of piece together all the different things and obviously you're sharing that with with your clients and helping them through through that and if you were to share some like uh, from a high level like some of the things that you would do from a sports psychology perspective for those like budding athletes who want to get uh, a little bit better in the mental game could you share like a, a couple of tips or tricks uh, for folks that that are, that are looking to get a little bit better in their mental game? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, one one thing that I always recommend, you know, for, for athletes is to is to get a hold of like a training journal and to throw that in your mm -hmm. in your bag and, and document after every every practice. You know, training is a thing that we do so often and so repetitively, but there's so much value there, right? Like it, it's the place where you develop and you learn and you face challenges and obstacles and you overcome them and to just kind of like, you know, leave it where it is, is, is I think a disservice, right? This, because it's so valuable, if we can track that and document that, I think it's huge. So I always advise athletes, get a notebook, throw it in your bag. And when training's done, write down a few things, write down number one, what did you do? Number two, how did it feel? And then the third one is how can it, you know, kind of lead to a goal for next practice, right? So you could say, what was the structure of the training? How did it feel? What were things that went really well? What were things that frustrated you and challenged you? And based off of that, how can you use that to set a better goal for next time? And it just allows you to document your progress, to build that self-awareness. And, you know, it, it honors one of my favorite quotes, which is you have to collect the dots to connect the dots, right? Mm -hmm. You have to gather information first 
in order to be able to take a step back and see what those trends are. But if we're never keeping track of any of that stuff, it just gets kind of washed away. So the ability to gather that data, collect that intel, document your progress, it's something that you can do right away. You can do it today to start. You know, Go to the dollar store, pick up a, a notebook, pick up a pen, throw it in your bag and get started. And it's one of the most impactful things you can do that doesn't require a lot of kind of investment, time or money. Sounds good. It reminds me of a, of a slightly different quote. I think it comes from Socrates, where it's like an un, unexamined life is not worth living, where you need to connect the do, collect the dots. You need to examine the dots and take a look at the dots and then connect them. Um, otherwise, then it's just like you're going through the motions and it's not as, as helpful. So uh, I, I'm sure that you'll have a, a lot more um, kind of advice, but I'd love if you shared some of the swike that you'd have with, with Dylan, uh, I guess, young Dylan, uh, as he kind of progressed through his career, his life uh, at any kind of pivotal points. Uh, what are maybe maybe two or three pieces of swike that you share with yourself? Yeah, for sure. I think it's an important question. The first one I would say is to be persistent, but to also know when to move on, right? I, you know, I've, I've always had that persistence and, and I think it's helped me a lot of the time. I mean, even if it's just reaching out to someone or, you know, sending a, a DM, you know, maybe they don't answer right away. Maybe you try again. And, you know, maybe the third or fourth time is when it works. Like, oh, hey, yeah, sorry about that. I was busy. Like, okay, what's going on? So be persistent and don't give up early. But at the same time, don't be the dead horse. Like, if you know it's not going to work, <laughs> I've definitely been guilty of, like, trying, like, to really force something to happen that's just not there. Um, and at the end of the day, you don't really want that. Like, whether it's a client or whether it's a, a deal or whether it's something else. Like, anything that you really have to kind of drag along the way it's not going to be really fruitful anyway so trying to balance like be persistent and, and don't give up prematurely but when you kind of recognize that it's just not there for you in the way that you think it is you know mm -hmm. save the energy move on because the next opportunity is waiting you don't want to get too caught up in trying to force something that's not there right so that that's one um number two is is i would definitely say to prioritize organization at like a structural level early on it's easy to build bad habits when you don't need them to be great, right? So like you don't need a system necessarily when you only have like one or two clients. You're only working for a few hours a week. You don't need a system. You can get away with kind of doing it a little bit easier. But when you start to scale and things grow, you never want to be in a position where, you know, this you're almost outscaling your own structure and organization. So you want to make sure that you're definitely organized enough when you don't need to be so that when you need to be it's there right you don't want to kind of work backwards and like oh my god i'm busy now now i have to kind of come up with a system to manage this like manage it first figure out a structure that works figure out a system that you're comfortable with and then you can start to start to support some of that weight of scaling but you it's hard to do both of those things at the same time so think about structure and foundation first to support the scale instead of doing it the other way around um and then the last one is, is actually interesting because I'm at a point, obviously, in my life and my career where I've almost, I feel like at times I've lived two lives. Like I've lived an entire <laughs> life as an athlete and I've learned all these lessons as an athlete. And now I'm almost resetting in business, in entrepreneurship, and, and it's kind of like a new chapter. And one of the things that, you know, I guess I, I wish I knew earlier, but I was also very mindful of applying now was enjoying the small wins and, and letting myself mm. be comfortable with that you know as an athlete I never did that you know I was I never took time and patted myself on the back because there's always the next thing right even going back to what I was saying before with the US Open and stuff I never even took a second to be like yeah that was really cool never it was always what's next you know it, there's this mentality of like 
you know, if I if I take time and reflect, I'm like, you know, losing my momentum and I'm slowing myself down. It's not the case, right? So I, I was able to accomplish a lot without giving myself kind of the credit and, and taking some time and being proud of myself and appreciating those small wins. And it's something that I kind of regretted at the end of like, I probably could have celebrated a little bit more as it went on and it would have been <laughs> enjoyable. So as I transitioned into entrepreneurship and business, that was a goal I had set for myself, which is I want to do that now. I want to appreciate the small wins. I want to kind of celebrate the small stuff a little bit more because I'll get there. Like when it comes to being successful, it's the same thing. I've always had this belief of being successful in whichever thing that I do, but it doesn't mean that you have to be miserable the entire way. It's not going to be glamorous. It's not going to be fun the whole time. It's not as cool as it looks on social media, but at the same time, the same way that I, you know, achieved the goals that I wanted in sport and could have kind of enjoyed the process a little bit more. I knew that like, you know, I'm going to achieve the things that I want in entrepreneurship and business. Let me enjoy the ride along the way. And it was actually something that because I had kind of learned from myself in my athletic career, I was able to apply it further. So it's kind of something that I wish that I knew earlier and had an opportunity to apply. So it's kind of a cool metric sure. there. That's amazing. Lots to unpack in, in those statements. So if I go reverse order, kind of like enjoying the small wins, I think that's definitely important. It, it reminds me of that quote that life's about the journey, not the destination and take time to smell the roses, that sort of thing, because it is super important to do that. And it just makes things a little bit more enjoyable and a little more sustainable too, right? Because if you're always looking for the next thing, it, it's kind of hard to keep going and going and going. Uh, on the organization and structure, uh, I'm reminded of the expression, uh, discipline equals freedom, right? Where a lot of people, when they do things like ad hoc they spend extra time doing it whereas if you put a structure and put some discipline ahead of time then you have a lot more time to do the important stuff that that you can figure out later on and then the first one about being kind of persistent and knowing when to move on it's uh like don't sell the unsellable where there are a whole bunch of people where like they won't buy right so so why bother but at the same time they won't buy yet or mm -hmm. not now um so it, it is that, that kind of fine line to figure out is am i beating a dead horse or is it just just one more email and then I'll, 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 I'll lock them so I think a lot of that is great advice and you're still young and early in the journey and I'm, I'm looking forward to following you along and seeing how you grow into all these uh, other uh, different areas and learning more uh, swike from, from you in the future but I'd love if you shared uh, kind of where folks can co connect with you and contact you and then maybe a couple of uh, future aspirations along the way yeah for sure so you know we're a lot of of everything's on Instagram so either my personal one which is you know at Dylan Nadler with an underscore, or the Mindlock one, which is at Mindlock with an underscore at the end. You know, we do a lot on Instagram, and it's a, a great place to kind of check out what we do, see who we work with, see some highlights. Like, it's a pretty cool, almost portfolio of, of you know, showcasing what we do at, at Mindlock. So that's on the Instagram page. I've been trying to get more active on LinkedIn, just on my personal page of Dylan Nadler, trying mm -hmm. to get, you know, posting some more longer form posts and, and getting into articles and blogs and stuff like that, kind of double-clicking into more kind of uh, specific concepts, which are important. Um, and then in, there's uh, another way if you're kind of interested in the actual content of what we do. We also have a fully kind of online course which gives you access to you know all of the curriculum that we offer at MindLock. So all of the video lessons, the activities, the worksheets, the assessments, um, case studies for professionals. So if you go to courses.mindlock.ca, it's a great place to check that out. Um, and, and in terms of kind of what's next, for me, it's it's kind of leaning into that. You know what I just talked about with the course. Come adding a, a product to a service was something that was always important to me because that's kind of how you scale. 
Um, you know, in a service-based business, you're limited by your time. You're limited by kind of all of those things. And being able to scale with with this type of thing was really important to me to you know put a lot of time and do it right. Not just do it to do it, but do it in the right way. So taking all of that structure and that curriculum and all that knowledge and bundling it into a fully kind of online course that people can go and access whenever they want at, like I said, at courses.mindlock.ca. It, it was always important to do it the right way. And now that it's launched and it's good to go, um, you know, it's cool to see people going through it and their reviews and, and having a chance to kind of take their learning into their own hands. So that's what I'm excited about is kind of building that out and scaling it and, you know, seeing in which other ways we can support people around the world. That's amazing, Dylan. So we'll definitely include all of those in the in the show notes here, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, be able to follow up with you on, on kind of the, the new advancements, uh, how you scale your service and, and, and your products, and all that sort of stuff, and uh, yeah, see what else is uh, new in, in the in the land of, of Dylan. So thanks so much, D- Dylan, for sharing your swike and your insights, and hopefully we'll have you back for a future episode. Of course, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was awesome. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at LukiDanu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.